Hello, and welcome back to Invent Anything. Today, we'll be talking about IP due diligence, which is a cornerstone for value in any business. In this episode, we will cover IP due diligence, why it's done, who it's done for, what is the process, what's the outcomes, and most importantly, how to leverage IP due diligence to enhance the value of the company. And this is true whether you are the company's board, investors, or its CEO, or contemplating investing or being acquired by a company. This is Invent Anything. Inventions keep the world spinning. From fire in the wheel to today's high tech, inventions power change. Turn your inventions into reality. Learn how to get your ideas to market. This is Invent Anything with John Cronin. Hi, this is John Cronin. In this episode, we will cover six topics. Topic number one, what are the types of due diligence that a business has? And where does IP due diligence fit in? Then topic two is, what actually is an IP due diligence? Followed by topic three, what is the company's point of view of an IP due diligence? And that can be contrasted to topic number four, what is an investor or acquirer's point of view of an IP due diligence? And then we'll move into topic number five, what happens if IP due diligence shows us problems? And then we'll go to topic six, which is how can IP due diligence affect other areas of my business? And then of course, we'll wrap up. Coming up, you may be surprised to find out how many types of due diligence there are in a business and where IP due diligence fits in and why IP due diligence requires multiple expertises to do it right. You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. And you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. So who might be the audience for this IP due diligence podcast? Certainly it'd be for companies that may be considering IP due diligence, or it could be for those who are raising money. And if you have IP, this is exactly for you. It's also for investors or acquirers who may be considering IP due diligence of their investment or acquisition. It's also for people in management or supervisory levels that may wanna get a brief on what IP due diligence actually is, especially from an intellectual property perspective, IP experts might be interested. Those who want to understand the connections between IP due diligence and the business, especially how to create value, this is for you. And finally, for those who wanna get a grade A on their IP program, so let's get right into it. Let's get into topic number one. What are the types of IP due diligences? First of all, IP due diligence is a type of diligence. In general, due diligence is just taking reasonable steps by a process or a person so that you can meet certain buying or selling obligations. It's really a comprehensive appraisal of a business undertaken by a prospective buyer or investor. And in general, it tends to look at assets and liabilities. So the general definition of due diligence covers that. But we can have many different due diligences in a business. We can have financial due diligence, and that's where CFOs produce income statements and balance sheets, and other accountants and analysts can look at the finances. There can be employee due diligence. Are the employees, uh, do they all have uh, agreements in place? Uh, uh, is there any em employees that might have some financial problems or theft problems? So one can actually look at their employees and do due diligence on them. There's also market or customer due diligence, meaning that you can actually check in on customers and see 
if they're actually buying what you are saying that they're they're buying to your investor or acquirer. There's vendor or supplier due diligence. This is in some cases when you have a sole supplier, that might be a risk. Some businesses will not want to do businesses uh, with a company that only has one sole supplier. There's offshore supplier issues and all the rest. So vendor or supplier due diligence is another type of diligence. This technology and product due diligence. This is where someone will bring in an expert that can analyze a product or technology to tell an investor or to tell a, a potential board member or, or acquirer, does the technology or product work? Then there's also internal operational due diligence, taking a look at how the operations run, are they running efficiently? If you have a design team that's working together, what's their productivity? What tools do they use? And then of course, there's company due diligence, both private and public. Uh, uh, public companies have a whole sort of, of regulations with the SEC. So look at all those types of diligences. Finally, some companies might call for a safety due diligence, which can be driven by things like OSHA. This usually happens if there's a safety issue. There's also Sarbanes-Oxley, which is really provisions about businesses and how they can incent CEOs and CFOs and how they restate financial uh, statements about the business, looking at things like misconduct and misstated financials. Lots of types of due diligence. But one of those types of due diligence is IP due diligence. And that's what we're now going to cover in topic number two. What is IP due diligence? Well, first of all, what is IP? We've covered this in many of our podcasts. It's patents and patent applications. It's actually inventions and process as well. It's the trade secrets. It's how you look at the prior art. It's generally anything that has to do with those three legs of the stool that I always talk about, patents, trade secrets, and publications for prior art. And IP diligence basically starts off with the data room. There's some place where the person doing the diligence or the company doing the diligence can go up to get the data. So it's important that you have a good data room of all your intellectual property. One of the things that's done in an IP due diligence is to look at the ownership and title of each invention. Uh, has each invention been assigned uh, to the company? One of the things is that uh, uh, you can now look at from an IP due diligence how the patents and the patent applications and trade secrets actually relate to the products that are being sold. I have a little funny story where I was asked to do an IP due diligence. I was told the company had great IP. They had over 300 patents. So in doing the due diligence, I was surprised to find out that none of the 300 patents, none of them overlapped any of the products. And this was disastrous for the, for the company who kind of represented they had hundreds of patents. They did, but they didn't relate to the product of the company. In IP due diligence, sometimes we look at forecasting the IP monetization. Are the licenses in place? Has the company won a litigation? One of the things in an IP due diligence is to look behind the patents that are issued at the file wrappers. What did the examiner have to say about why they allowed the patents or not? And sometimes it gives you a great indication of whether the patents can be continued or not. One of the things that people really do, and it's one of the things that we kind of pride ourselves when we do this, is what are the future inventions? And we call this sort of an IP scan, which we'll be covering in the future in a podcast. But it's really extracting out all the potential inventions to tell the investor or acquire what that is. We need to also look at the trade secret practices. Is it good? Is it uh, being able to really protect the company? So that's within IP due diligence. We also took a, take a look at the quality and the rate of filings of the patents and patent applications. Quality is a big area of, 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 of understanding how valuable the IP is. 
We talked in pre previous episodes about free and operate. That's certainly a part of due diligence. Does the company have the freedom to create the product without being sued? We also have talked about in previous episodes, evidence of use. Evidence of use is certainly IP due diligence, meaning if the company is saying to their CEO or their board or their investors or acquirer that they have patents that they can assert, well, one can do the evidence of use study that we talked about in the podcast. We also talked about IP valuation in a previous podcast. That's certainly part of the IP due diligence. What is the value of the IP? Keep in mind, there's really hundreds of things that are checked off in an IP due diligence, hundreds. And it's really done in a decision tree. Sometimes most of the things don't have to be checked off if in fact, um, you know, they, they're not available. If the company has no trade secrets, it'll just be they have no trade secrets. But if they had trade secrets, you'd have many other questions to ask. And then finally, taking all that information together, all those things we talked about, how do you put it together in a package that you can then present and, and define for those who are requesting the IP due diligence? Coming up, you'll learn about both sides of the IP due diligence coin. That is the company view and the investor acquire view, which is the best side to start with. You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. And you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. Topic number three, the company point of view using IP due diligence. This has to be done by a third party with expertise for credibility. Doing your own due diligence <laughs> would not be believed by most. So people said not to do diligence on themselves. So therefore a CEO would not have their own team do a due diligence on their own company. Uh, maybe the board members might have the CEO do a due diligence, but in general, it's best to have a third party. From the company's point of view of IP due diligence, Usually it's requested by somebody, by a board member or the CEO or a current investor. And it's usually done before some event, like maybe there's an investment coming up or an M&A. Keep in mind that the company would pay for the IP due diligence and then they own, would own the result, which means that they may or may not take the IP due diligence report and provide it to anybody else, particularly if it's bad, because maybe they want the opportunity to fix it. Investors could use the IP due diligence for understanding the investment of the value of a company and whether they can look at the company as truly having valuable IP. Board members could use IP due diligence for managing the efforts of the CEO, keeping in mind the CEO works for the board. And it's really kind of a third party, a third party report card. The CEO can use the IP due diligence in the company as, a, as an improvement process, what needs to be fixed. We do have many clients that actually on a routine basis do an IP due diligence of themselves. And as I mentioned before, the company owns the IP due diligence and they may decide to use it or not. The company may be very surprised about the IP problems that result from an IP due diligence. They may find, for instance, that the intellectual property is easy to invent around, or the IP doesn't cover the products as my fun story I talked about, or the IP processes are faulty, especially sort of trade secret processes. So the company might be very surprised by the results and therefore it's very good to do uh, diligence because you'll have the opportunity to fix it. And with a good IP due diligence in place, this actually can be used in reverse. It can be actually used to tout the value of the company in a raise or an M&A. So doing an IP due diligence is beneficial for raising money or being acquired, especially doing it in advance. So let's go to topic number four, the investor or acquirer point of view using an IP due diligence. 
So this is generally where the lead investor of a deal or the acquiring company would come to a company like mine and ask us to do an IP due diligence of the company. And the company will have to comply with this or, or else they probably won't get the investment. Generally what happens is that the lead investor or acquirer, when they're asking for an IP due diligence, they may be quote IP smart, meaning they've done this many times before and they're using this as one of their checklists. Sometimes investors have never done an IP due diligence since the first time. Uh, and they probably hadn't done a lot of IP deals, but now they find this is an IP deal, we better get IP due diligence. Now, I want you to think about something. If I am coming into a company to do a due diligence, I'm now talking to the CEO and the company about their IP. They now know they're under the microscope. It's very uncomfortable for a company to have a third party come in, looking at the IP, knowing that they're gonna get graded on the IP and knowing that if it's a poor grade, they may not get the raise. So it's an incredibly uncomfortable position for a CEO or board knowing that they have to go through the uh, IP due diligence. This is, I think, one of the reasons why companies wish they had actually done the IP due diligence in advance, because they would have the ability to fix any of the problems. If an acquirer wants an IP due diligence, this is also a little bit more unique because the acquirer company may be asking how does the IP of the acquired company align with the IP of the, of the parent company? So you need some very sophisticated tools and techniques to do this. An investor or acquirer might not show the results of the IP due diligence to the company, uh, they pay for it, so it's theirs. Now, why would they give it to the company or not? Well, they might give it to the company if in fact there's some to-dos on the diligence that need to be fixed up and they may, they may make as part of their investment that they're gonna invest further money to make sure some of the issues are fixed. So the uh, IP due diligence that has issues, if the investor thinks they're fixable, he may provide the due diligence to the company. Sometimes though, I work with investors that basically hold the IP due diligence close to the vest. And they can use it for all sorts of um, negotiation discussion. In one of the recent companies we did an IP due diligence for, for uh, an investor, he was going to put $20, $30 million into the company. Uh, we had actually found something in the IP due diligence for the investor. We found out that the products, you know, related to the patents and everything was looking good. But we found out that there was technology that was trade secreted that was, a, that was useful in many other markets. And in fact, their know-how of this company was worth maybe 500 million, not 30 million. Well, now the investor has this information and knows that this is gonna be a great deal. So it's kind of like the ace in the hole for the investors. Investors or acquirers might require the company to fix any issues that they see. Investors or acquirers might even invest more to get the IP fixed. And in advance of any, any deal or valuation, IP valuation can dramatically change the final valuation. So good IP due diligence uh, done by an investor, the investor might feel very comfortable for giving a higher valuation. Anyway, there's all sorts of reasons on both sides of this coin, whether the investor or the company uh, would want the IP due diligence uh, to proceed. Which would you think would be making the most sense? Yeah, you're right. If the company had done the IP due diligence first, that's the better way to go because they're not risking the investment. Coming up, what happens if the IP due diligence didn't turn out well? And what can be done about that? And what can be done with the IP due diligence to really impact the business? You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. And you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. 
Let's move on to topic number five. What happens if the IP due diligence shows their problems? Now, let me just be candid with you guys. How many times, if I was to do 100 IP due diligences, which I've done many more, how many times do you think that the IP due diligence has problems? You probably guess it a lot of times, probably greater than 75%. The problem is, what are the types of problems? So we're going to talk about some different issues, some fatal issues. We might talk about where maybe it's an investor issue, or maybe it's just some house cleaning issues. As we mentioned, there can be hundreds of issues in an IP due diligence. Some are fatal, and some might be something that the investor or acquirer would be okay with sort of fixing up. And keep in mind, as we mentioned, this is a checklist of many things that we go through, and it's a decision tree checklist. So this can get pretty complicated pretty quickly if the company has lots of IP and trade secrets and lots of relationships, et cetera. We'll give two or three fatal issues, two or three sort of gaps issues for investors and two or three normal housekeeping issues. And this is just to give you a flavor, right? I mean, uh, normally we have a 30, 40 page document that comes out of this with all sorts of issues and prioritize them. If there are many fatal issues, the due diligence might just be uh, very, very poor. But if there are things that are fixable, the due diligence might be um, you know, a checklist of things that need to be fixed and invested in. So let's talk about some fatal issues. Here's a fatal issue. The IP doesn't cover the products and there's no product protection and the inventions are easy to invent on top of. Um, and this will take strategy and money to fix. I mean, sort of think about it. If you have a product that doesn't have product protection, how can you get product protection for your product with IP? You're probably gonna have to improve the product and hopefully get patents that you've invented on top of in place on those improvements. So at least you're covering improvements. Generally a fatal flaw if someone's asking to do an IP due diligence because you have no IP covering the company. Another fatal issue, and we find this a lot, is the IP is not cleanly owned by a company. This is especially true in early, early stage companies. Two or three inventors become on an invention and only one has assigned the rights uh, to the company. And one inventor may be recalcitrant and uh, has no agreement with the company whatsoever. So that, that inventor has equal rights with the company to own the IP. And we see that quite a bit. So that's a fatal issue. You don't own your IP. Another fatal issue is the company doesn't have freedom to operate. In a freedom to operate study, we find out that they could get sued quickly. Investors or acquirers are risk adverse. So they certainly don't want to invest in a company that can be sued. And what do you do about that? What do you do if you don't have freedom to operate? The company that owns the patents is a competitor and they have money in a litigious. It makes it even worse. The only way to get out of that kind of problem is to quickly develop or buy trading card patents to at least mitigate uh, the difference of power between the two. Let's talk about some different issues. Instead of fatal issues, let's talk about uh, sort of gaps in, uh, for the acquirer or the investor. Suppose your portfolio has some patents that cover the products, but some product aspects are not covered by the patents. Well, maybe the investment could be used to fix this issue by once again, taking the future in mind and inventing on top of your products and then getting those patents in place. Another investment or acquire issue is that the IP due diligence shows key employees or inventors have left the company. Well, why is that an issue? Because those inventors or key employees could be in another company, a competitor, and they could be literally exposing trade secrets and inventing around the product, et cetera. One of the issues here is a process that you could install to actually track the key employees or inventors, but also to develop a really good, robust trade secret process. 
Another investment or acquire issue is that, and we've seen this too, is that the CEO considers IP to be a nuisance. They really wish they didn't have to do the due diligence. They don't believe in IP. And that comes in loud and clear. And we've had investors that would turn around and require that with the investment that the board and the CEO have a new KPI, some new measurements associated with developing a good IP strategy. One of the house cleaning issues that we see all the time for investors is that there's really no IP strategy. It's not documented. There's no one that really has a direction here. And this is a fix, it requires some effort, but putting an IP strategy in place. Let's move on to sort of some everyday normal housekeeping issues that result from an IP, to dish, IP due diligence. One of the things that has happened many times is that the patents have lapsed accidentally. They didn't pay the maintenance fees. And this is something that can be fixed in a period of time within a couple of years, uh, as long as you can prove it was accidental. So we find this and we have to fix it. Another normal house cleaning issue is when you look at the NDAs and, and non-disclosure agreements, um, they're poorly written uh, and all the employees have not signed them. And so that becomes an issue. So sort of getting the cow back in the barn, I guess, with getting the NDAs and everything else all cleaned up. And the last sort of normal and house cleaning issue that we see is it shows that the patents basically have, have poor quality, like they're easy to invent around. So what we need to do is to move very quickly uh, as, as a result of that to improve the quality of the patents by filing more, by inventing around our own patents, et cetera. So you can see fatal issues are fatal issues, very difficult to fix, very expensive to fix. Investor issues are really what they're looking for. They didn't expect to get a fatal issue. Uh, they do expect the things they have to fix with the due diligence. And then finally, there's always a list of good things that need to be fixed up. Now, as we talked earlier in topic number one about the types of due diligence there is, and talked about IP due diligence just being one of them, it should be obvious now what IP due diligence can be. Can be. And so in topic number six, we're going to talk about how can IP due diligence affect other areas of business. So it should be obvious that IP due diligence is a key front-end strategy tool, right? It's really good to do it because you can get all the issues up front to work on. And it also becomes a great way uh, to have a checklist so that you can transition the checklist of IP due diligence over to actions that can become strategies and tactics for your IP strategy. You know, the IP due diligence, at least when we do it, we're looking not just at the IP, we're looking at the business, the market, the product, the technology, the inventions, and the IP and how it all connects together. And a lot of times what you find is if there's fatal issues that you can't fix, uh, that's a problem. But there's many times immediate IP strategy things that can be done to get better IP. For instance, you might have great patents on the technology side, but you may be missing patents on the business model side. Uh, if you look at the market and you may not have any patents that cover what the customer might do. So you might wanna get some patents there as well. You might find if there's vendors and suppliers that you don't have a good trade secret policy, then you need to tune that up. We talk about financial due diligence. Well, look at IP due diligence and financial due diligence come right together for two reasons. One is if you're gonna do intellectual property development, that's gonna be expensive and time consuming. So that should be in your financial reporting. If there's a pending litigation, that certainly should be a risk uh, for the financials. So they do come together. We talked about employee due diligence and theft and things like that. Well, if you have a key employee, they need a really good trade secret agreement in place. And that's something that we can generally fix. But you can see how IP due diligence might find employee issues. We can also see how IP due diligence can find market or customer issues. 
for instance, if we found that there's not a lot of IP, it, it probably means that the margins of the products are very low as well. And so one, one can see that one can help us uh, improve the market of the customer position by developing further IP. We talked about vendors and there, of course there's vendor due diligence like we talked about sole, sole suppliers and things like that. But also in this IP due diligence can actually see the relationship between the suppliers and the customer to find out if there's potential uh, double of trade secrets or issues that would bleed in where maybe the vendor might start patenting underneath you. And so we can fix that by doing a good IP due diligence. But the IP due diligence does inform the, the vendor uh, diligence. Obviously the IP due diligence almost directly informs the technology and product due diligence. I mean, you, you have to be technical in order to do the IP due diligence. So you have to understand the products and technology. And this is where things like freedom to operate uh, uh, is a really important step in the due diligence to see if the patent coverage really um, is, is up, it's out there by third parties, so it doesn't overlap your products. And then we talk about operational due diligence, the internal processes. One thing that almost always comes up in the IP due diligence is the companies don't have much of a practice if at all on IP management or intellectual asset management. And most companies don't need to spend a lot of time and money on this, but having some modest process to monitor intellectual property. For instance, maybe every quarter talking to employees about trade secrets uh, or every six months extracting inventions out um, you know, on a routine basis. Uh, very simple things can be done in order to get much better processes. But IP due diligence is really another type of due diligence, but it actually interlocks with all these other diligences and it's multi-dimensional, it's like a puzzle piece. So that's why it's really best to have expert third parties help you with the IP due diligence. So let's wrap up. Topic number one, we talked about what are the types of uh, due diligence of a business. We discussed all sorts of uh, due diligences like financial, employee, market, vendor, even Sarbanes-Oxley, and IP due diligence is just one of them. We talked about in topic number two, the investor or acquirer point of view using an IP due diligence. We discussed the dozen areas uh, where the IP due diligence, such as things like title, fire actors, trade secrets, potential IP, freedom to operate, evidence of use, valuation, just to name a few. So the investor uh, point of view would like to understand all those things. The company point of view though, is to understand, you know, in topic number three, the company point of view using the IP due diligence, we discussed the company's point of view, the investor, the board, the CEO, and when and why the IP due diligence is needed. We discussed how the company can leverage the results of the IP due diligence, even to the point of showing off how valuable the company's IP is because they had a very successful IP due diligence. When we talked about the other side of this, investors, topic number four, we discussed investors or acquirers' point of view in the diligence and why it becomes so uncomfortable for the company to have a third party giving them a report card on their IP. And many times we revealed how investors can actually use this information to their advantage in negotiation or in valuation. And even at some point, the investor can use this as an ace in the hole. We talked about in topic number five, what happens if there's a problem. We talked about fatal issues and how important it is to understand those really quickly and how hard it's gonna to be to overcome them. Things like you don't have any patents that overlap your products could be a fatal issue, or there's a potential litigation looming and you don't have to read and operate. We talked about other types of issues which are really investor or acquirer issues, and these can be more easily fixed. And we even talked about there's always normal or housekeeping kind of things that come out of due diligence that can be fixed. In topic number six, we finally ended up is looking at the effects of IP due diligence on, the, on other diligences. 
and we recognize they interlock. We, when we're looking at IP diligence, it could affect employee due diligence or could it find issues about employees. It interlocks because we talked about financial due diligence, basically overlapping with IP due diligence. When you're going to do intellectual property work, it's got to inform the finance group. And maybe there's issues with monetization, which should be in the balance sheet. So you see these really interlocking. Well, that's it. Uh, and, and please remember, uh, if you have time, uh, to, if you like this, please subscribe and like it. And come join us on our blog for Invent Anything.